And we're live. Welcome to another week of the Questioning Commission. My name's Chase. Um, unfortunately, Quinzo isn't here today. Uh, he's busy on that master's grind, getting that thesis in. So yeah, it'll be me going solo. But unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to put this, I'm joined by a guest today. Uh, but before we get into the guests, I just want to make it clear to everybody, uh, as always, standard procedure, that the views represented in this podcast are solely our own, my own, the guests' own, and they don't represent the institutions, organizations that we are affiliated with. Um, and yeah, you know, just enjoy the show um, and engage with us afterwards if you feel comfortable. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest, Jack, um, and he can come in and say hi and just break it down. All right. Um, good evening, everyone. I hope everyone's doing well wherever you are at the moment. Um, my name is Jack. I am a former paratrooper out of Fort Tempe in Bloemfontein with the 1st Parachute Battalion, and I am happy to be here with uh, Chase, my uh, host. Awesome, man. Um, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, uh, as always, when we have a guest on, we try to have an icebreaker of sorts. So let me ask you this question. Tomorrow you become president. What are the first five things that you do uh, as president or try to effect? Okay, so this always has been a tough one for me since I'm not the best leader, but I'll give it a go. Tomorrow I turn president. First, what I would do is I would start campaigns to come uh, humanitarian campaigns to uh, combat uh, whether that be homelessness whether that be uh, poverty um, or endangering of our country or just providing humanitarian aid to neighboring countries that need it for example um, for example Mozambique um, probably not the best but that's what I would do to first restore peace hearts and minds all that across the country um, secondly I would like to establish um, an actual committee within the parliament that is dedicated to listening to the community. The community in my eyes has a voice. I would have them dedicated to listening and give us feedback on how we can improve daily living in South Africa, crime stop, um, just in general, just living happily with one another. And number three, I would get a better, because um, at the moment, okay, I would set up a proper um, a VA, a Veterans Association, to help with uh, a VA, to uh, a proper VA that actually is there for uh, veterans in need, whether they be homeless or in need of desperate help. Um, that includes for police officers, uh, not a lot of police officers get. Um, first of all, you're not allowed to talk about feelings in the relates, otherwise you will get shot down immediately. And that's the thing I would like to just build a foundation on. It's just supporting um, those who have been through the nitty gritty shitty all that and to just tell them that hey what you did matters and we're here to take care of you now and uh, fifth I would I would like to improve the um, current situation with um, the Department of Education, the Department of Defense, and um, the Department of Finance. Now, the Department of Finance, I'm not good at finance, but uh, I know that um, we do struggle there. The Department of um, Education, uh, they, at the moment, teachers, from what I hear from my friends that are within the education, educational, uh, what you call it now, um, occupation, um, I guess regularly they tell me that uh, they're getting their ass kicked and the government thing this and that chances of not even getting raises um, etc including police officers like um, when my dad was still in the police I used to constantly hear about 
how the government's doing this and that and at the moment there was a story recently where uh, there was a chance that we might not even get bonuses as well um so if i were to be i would love to improve the overall way of life within the police um department of education the department of defense and the department of uh, the you know just the minister of ministry of uh, police services yeah no uh, those are some really good points and i'd love to delve jump right into it but i think uh for the viewers i think it'd be best if we first go into your background and show that you know you've actually been in these various capacities before you know we actually delve into the meat and potatoes of us you know um you have that real experience that on the ground experience whereas i come from academic background so i thought maybe we can go into your background what actually got you interested and involved in the armed forces you know did your dad inspire you to follow this route and so forth and then once we just get into your background we can address these issues you know because i, I do want to talk about for example i found it very interesting how you talked about community oversight you know and i think that's something that's quite lacking you know especially in this elections now because people don't know what's going on you know um, and everybody's trying to clutch for straws and it's only this select elite that know what's going on and then they want to come campaign every time when it's elections and let you know what's going on but i mean if it wasn't for the news and journalism i know uh, don't get me started on, on fake news and all that bullshit but we're actually able to see all the fuckery that's happening in our government but i mean if it was that community oversight we wouldn't see that because people are directly affected by that so i quite enjoyed that point that you had there and i'd like to touch on the veterans association and the police with helping them and all, all those matters you know so um before we get into all of that um i feel like we're going to be talking all evening uh, but uh can you just give you a background and so forth and then we we can get into it you know say what you can um i just want to give a disclaimer jack is an active duty member so there are certain things that he can't say he's not high or drunk or anything like that that he's jumping all over the place there are some things that he can't say and cannot say um uh, so let's respect that and so forth and just you know we speak about what we can speak about you know yes um and to disclaimer to what he said active member no longer of the officers in the police service now um to back to my uh, career as a uh, my background basically um a thing a lot of followers i have on instagram as well um they ask me my, my time as a paratrooper parabat for those uh, old south africans that know what i'm talking about and um, so basically as i said in the first uh, in the beginning i am a former paratrooper out of uh, mp in bloemfontein first parachute battalion and um <sighs> I did four years and three deployments, one five-month deployment, one six-month deployment. And uh, I believe my shortest deployment was about five months. No, five months. Yeah, no. My shortest deployment was my one to Central Africa. Uh, the rest was spanned across six months. Um, and the time that I didn't spend deploying, I was training uh, back at home or on leave. So, and as my present day, um, I'm not going to give out any names, locations. Uh, as a disclaimer, I won't be giving out any of those things yeah. the present day i am um, an active member of uh, south african police service the unit known as tactical response team POP. um coming around two years now and um honestly it's a great job and we will definitely delve into those for some reason who are interested in police career yeah um we will definitely dive into that yeah. and um 
happy to get people interested in uh, okay. so i must ask so in when you were in high school had you always envisioned that you join the military or was it just like after high school what made you decide after high school to join the military or was there a gap or what, what exactly happened what prompted you to go into that career field you see i i didn't in in school i was a mess <laughs> um story of most of our lives um and uh, i just how can i put it i guess i just had a epiphany if, if that's a right word my um one of my aunts inspired me because uh, she told me that she wanted to be so badly in the military but she can't because she needs to be at home taking care of her child and i respected her for that and she said listen don't just forget about police special operations just go to military special operations and i looked into the, the ads you know i looked into um online like the special forces and this and that and um i was thinking you know mad respect to the special forces but unfortunately i'm not trying out for them and i was like and then i saw then i heard of the parabest and i was like yo i'm i'm like i'm crazy as fuck so let's see how crazy i can get jump out of planes for a living and uh about and i made that this conscious decision um i dedicated myself to joining uh just when i was 15 oh, um, i completed yeah you see you can uh, but the problem with me was that i kept looking to my future becoming a better better of course i did be, um achieve that goal but i didn't pay attention to my educational yeah. but I, look i shaved through my ass in school so <laughs> but um i had the right motivation and i just didn't think about my my because uh, you know my aunt said if you can look past the color because you know with because in the armed forces because uh, it's supposed uh, after 94 so people are like mixed opinions about the army yeah. I was like I don't really care I would like to make myself happy give myself yeah. a name and then was that only with that little night I spent with my aunt and I was like yeah I'm joining the bed yeah. and so I did when I completed I finished school when so I was you 18 okay yeah okay you completed school okay yeah um and when i was done i uh basically lucky enough i got a post in um, a post application within uh four or five months from joining and then i was still very lucky because four or five months it's like it's very slipping in interesting and so, um if i may yeah, continue so uh so for context for the readers what what year was this so for example but you first what year was this and do you first have to join basic training and stuff like that and then you can only apply or can you apply from the get-go to go to parabats or stuff like that how exactly does that you does know that work because um okay so context um i was finished with high school in the year of 2011 and okay. uh, i went i was off to basic training in um, 2012 okay? okay so when um i was off to basic um, you see, the parabats is a career career field on its own. If you volunteer for the bats in your application, you will be put into a group, a unit within, because uh, it has, which you will get a place, of course, in the bats if you pass basic, if you pass airborne school, if you pass jump school, all that. So um, basically, when you volunteer for the uh, bats, you will, um, in, if you pass base training, airborne school, jump school, all that, um, and you eventually pass basic you will you will be put into a unit because the bats have quite a high uh, dropout rate which is why um with respected unit is um but so for you for any of the viewers out there who want to join the bats here's a little tip for you in the normal armed forces you are issued a beret a and a paratroopers parabats okay we are issued we are not issued a beret we earn our 
right. So if you talk shit about the beret, if you disrespect it, if you steal it, you'll get your ass handed to you because we earned it. And if you're just con- a conventional force, say it's like infantry, um, just 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 know that that's your place. Mm, okay. And uh, back to what I was saying. So the paratroopers is a, a, a MOS for those who don't know what MOS is, military occupation special. It um, it's your job in the army. And um, I'm not sure. I haven't really heard of people who just for some reason step down to infantry from the back. I have heard of guys who went off to special forces training and selection and all that passed and are now operative. Mm. Um, but yes, we are a co- we are a specialized. Well, not we're not special operations, but we are a specialized branch. Okay. With or not branch unit within the uh, defense force. And is, are, are the parabets only based in Pretoria or uh, in Tempe? Or... No, uh, no, and the um, that's from all that I know. Okay. Um, when I was in, I was in. Well, I completed. I was my first deployment in 2013. I completed late 20 at the very late 2012. So I was about. Um, your, our main garrison is based in uh, Bloemfontein okay. because that's where you go for airborne school jump school yeah. and survival training and all that um, Pretoria not really too sure hmm. uh, but yeah that's the, that is what it is and so before we get into the meat of potatoes about Parabat uh, selection and all that stuff how was you, how was your basic was there any funny stories uh, what what did you think of the training was it did uh, basic kind of prepare you for uh, Parabat training or before you had joined you know basic training were you in good shape like you know you said that you dedicated your life from age 15 to becoming a parabat so were you, was it like were you training for the moment that you left high school to go join the military or you know um, yeah. the moment okay so I was doing rugby when I was in school so that kind of prepared me for fitness wise um, but when I was done with high school John, I was off to, was off to basic as soon as I could, um, humanly good okay. what and, position um, did you play by the way um, I was middle flank okay like a, i was a six so <laughs> nice um <sighs> So, yeah, funny stories. Um, I have these stories sound way better when I'm drunk, and unfortunately, I'm not. So, the one there is one that I remember one uh, some of the best memories I've made by um, when we were, I think it was after a range day, it's where you go doing a weapons qualification, and um, you spend hours on the, on the range. And um, it's not as fun as you think, but shooting the rifle effectively is it's fun. Um, after that, we um, when we were in our uh, barracks, uh, we snuck outside with umbrellas that we um, chased. And for some reason, we chose to stand on top of a roof and jump off the roof with umbrellas to see fly. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and so you... Where exactly did you do? Is there one specific place that you do your basic training, or is it just depending on the province that you are? Each place, each province has their own like basic training place, or uh, how does that work? No. Okay, so depending on your unit, your branch, uh, or uh, the unit you're volunteering for, you will have different base uh, bases. So mine, my, my garrison, our main garrison was in Tempe, okay. mm. and uh, there is where we went into it all, jump okay. school, all that. Uh, it's you will find it all there um jump uh static line jump uh will be conducted a little bit further outside of bloemfontein mm. um because you need a lot of space and there will be vehicles on the ground waiting for you because static line 
jumping. It's not where you uh, you jump out and then yeah. you pull the parachute and like maybe seal style land on the ground, just like and then run and gun. It's yeah. like that. Based uh, stand static line jumping is basically you all because the back the ass end of a, a C one thirty is massive. Yeah. So you can easily squeeze in about two hundred guys in there. Okay. And um, uh, so you would be sitting in a rows, and there would be a door at the very front, and there would be a jump master. And so what you would do is once that light go, the light will be first red, mm. and then it will go green. Green means you stand up, you hook up, and then you begin shuffling to the door. Yeah. And so light goes green, and then you will have this uh, basically this hook that you will hook onto the line. This is where static lines are. In. And then once you reach the door where the where the jump master will be, you will give the line to him, and then you would immediately jump out. And you will in um, basic in in jump school they will teach you um, when we jump out of the like the little mock up we call it an opcast in Afrikaans where you would jump out, and then the drill sergeant teach you keep your feet and knees together, yeah. bend them slightly, and count to seven thousand like one thousand two thousand. Okay, okay. And then your parachute will be opened by the static line that you yeah. have given. <laughs> to the uh, this, uh, jump master okay. so that's basically the concept of static line free falling uh, being qualified for that is way more intense training is way longer only a few bats have okay. uh, no one I really knew most people that were qualified for free falling were special operations command okay. Okay. and so forth and uh, question had you uh, prior to you actually joining had you maybe skydived or parachuted uh, in high school or before you had actually joined the military or was it like everything is new when he joined the Parabats. Yeah. It was a total culture shock when I joined. I never <laughs> jumped out of airplane. Sketch I never even been, you know, <laughs> I've never even been inside of a plane as a kid. So this was a completely new concept for me. Oh, and yes. like the, the first time being on a plane and jumping out of it, ooh, that's different. Get shitless. Uh, for the, the first few times that you do it, you're scared. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you want to push yourself, but then again, you don't. Okay. So um, then you just, there's, there's this little technique. I always use. It's just literally right before I do what I'm about to do. It's just, I just say out loud, let's fucking go, baby. And then I just fucking do it. And it just motivates me and gets that fear. I literally scream the fear out and then I'm just out of it. Okay, okay. And uh, yeah. was there some guys that just couldn't make the jump? They couldn't overcome their fears? Or um, was the attrition rate there high? Was, there, there were some guys all uh, little little bitches. They're like, when we were doing the off-cast uh, drills is where you would be uh, in the, the little mock-up cage that is little, like, 10 stories high or something. Yeah. And then you would jump out, and that's where you do the, like, the 7,000 counting drill. Okay. And uh, when you're in that thing, there were some guys who were crying before they, before they, and they weren't <laughs> even, like, by the door. So... Yeah. You definitely, of course, human ingenuity is not perfect. So you, everyone at first is like, oh, but what if the land sna- line snaps and this and yeah. that? Just, they just get over it and just go. Okay, okay. And there wasn't any serious accidents with your with your group that you went through, you know, parachutes not opening, that kind of shit. No, none of that. No, 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 no. Parachutes, uh, you see, static line parachutes are different from revolving parachutes, so they are bound to work. And if they don't, you just, you get taught drills how to um, unsnag the parachute because there's this little um, shutter that comes down from the parachute once it opens down to, um, like, say, like two feet above your head. Mm. And that is what controls the, uh, and keeps the 
strings of the parachute in line and in order but um there were some instances where some trainees were uh, the, that little shutter gets caught and then like they panic but then they just you know, ruffle with it for a bit and then they're good okay. um and it was a guy who got a leg injury but he was okay he was back at it in a few days and um what's the what's the height that you guys usually jump from um it's Probably about a thousand feet okay. in the air, thousand five hundred give or take. And have you have you fallen in love with uh, skydiving now, or is it just like, nah, I just did my time, got my fucking wings, or is it just like, nah, I enjoy it? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's just I just I I didn't do it just to get my wings. I did it to feel a type of thrill I could okay. I never could feel as a kid. Okay. And uh, I really enjoyed doing it. At first, I was scared, but once you keep doing it, yeah. um, it's just it's just automatic. You just want to. Okay. All right. And I would love to go jumping when I'm not um, tired, wet, uh, and uh, miserable. So okay. hopefully one day I could uh, like book a skydiving session. Okay. And so, so how long was your parabat selection and how tough was it, you know? Selection, I would say selection was one of the hardest parts. Um, not to sound like Travis Raids or anything, Travis Raids being a total asshole. That's a topic on its own, but uh, we're not going to go into that. Um, I would say it is the hardest part. Well, probably not the hardest, but it's the most mentally and physically demanding week of your life because selection is based across six, seven days, give or take. Mm. And it just basically pushes you to your limits. You get 15 minutes of sleep every day. You you get, you, you don't get a lot of food. Mm. Um, did you get, if you were lucky, the drill sergeants would let you because you get two minutes to eat your food and that's and that but it's not just two minutes that oh they you already have your food and yeah two minutes eat no it's here's the packet of mres dish it out to the whole platoon and eat within those two minutes and you still have to dish it out within those two minutes and it's if you sweat and you eat but sometimes they let you like five minutes and then best five minutes of your life and so you, so you said this was a week and then is it after the week that you get your wings or must you go to other specialized schools or no, no, you no, get no. your beret? Selections. <laughs> Dude, this is where, uh, this is where I like to educate people. Selection is where they filter out those who are there motivated and wanting to be there. And those who just want to just are there and just are looking while just there's no place to the the parabat is not a place to jump out so that's what selection is it filters out who wants to be there and who is there okay if that makes sense and um, and uh, yeah no no go go for it sorry um after uh, selection you would go out and uh, actually start your initial training then your whole training process will start because selection is like i said just to filter out okay. and uh, then the shit really kicks um, well not really kicks it just gets slightly slightly easier but it's so hard and how long is it until you actually become a fool so once selection's done how long is it until you actually become a full parabat um how long is the training program and so forth <sighs> about seven no not seven six six months six okay. seven months and then it's just the whole process of uh, becoming a bad it's just you don't feel that pride you don't feel that honor until you're actually at your ceremony and mm-hmm. they hand you that red beret and then you put it on okay. and then there 
that's the sensation. Any bats out there listening, you know what I'm talking about. Mm. It's it's a feeling of pride no one can take away from you. Yeah. Uh, so, say for example, how many people start out in your class, um, and then how many actually finished up with you at the end? Probably ninety candidates. <sighs> Ninety. It's it's about a ninety. It's about what two companies, three companies size, and uh, I think my dude is. I'll narrow it down. I would say went from ninety to about fifty. 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 Uh, give or take in the middle. Well, okay. And um, were you were you inspired by, for example, the NCOs? Was there enough of that? Because you know we, we're going to touch on this, but um, from various reports and stuff that I've seen and people I've spoken about, everybody says that the armed forces sand of is very top heavy. So were you happy with the the leadership that was actually guiding you to become a parabat and so forth? Or did you find that it was just like everybody was just like on the move? Because, you know, we have this uh, preconception as South Africans that our, our military, you know, they aren't what they used to be and stuff like that. And I think, you know, I feel like the media kind of fails to, you know, instill that patriotism that, you know, we are actually doing good stuff out there. You know, the, there's very little coverage on the good that we do. You know, there's always the focus on this bad. So, you know, for people that are, listening to this and actually want to join you know would you say that there is that leadership you know there may be some bad apples up top but you know at the bottom your ncos and stuff like that they're actually there to help you they have the knowledge you know that they've been around would you say that yeah it's okay so that's that's a topic that i'm very passionate about you see there is good leadership you see our drill instructors, our drill sergeants, the instructors, whatever, the, um, they are not afraid to get hands-on. You see, if you are um, causing cocks, like say you're doing mud crawls or um, fast bait, fast bait is a uh, fucking hellish drill. Um, it's a hellish session, uh, training session, uh, meant to push you. So if you're, say you're causing cock, like uh, let's say, for example, there's a video I saw of a guy doing mud crawls in sand of, and then he did it, he was lazy and he didn't want to like go fast. And then it was when he was back at it to drill, the instructor grabbed him by the back of the head and just moved him into the mud. And uh, because uh, if that's a thing that differs us from other countries, is that we are there to just dish out discipline. Your NCOs, your uh, commanding officer, your anything, um, they are there to be there for you. They're there to make you a better person. Um, your instructor, he's there to make you a new person. He's there because the military is very good at making soldiers. They're just not good at making humans. Um, and that's the thing about... Uh, what, what, do you, what, what do you mean by that statement, if I may just ask? It's... Okay. I won't, go, I won't get too emotional, but when I say that, they are very good at making a paratrooper. They're very good at that. I'll give them that. But when I came back from a deployment, my final deployment, when I came back and I was done, um, and I was discharged and I went home, I was not, how can I say, I was not the man I used to be. To a degree, that is a good thing. But to another degree up here in the fucking Kopiki, it's not, you get what I mean? Yeah, I I get what you're saying, you know. Uh, I think that, you know, it's... uh, this is from my perspective, you know, and I've done a lot of reading and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they build you to be this warrior, but they don't look at your uh, mental health. They don't look after, you know, because 
you know, it's easy to say, hey, you join the military or training to be a soldier, but they have to look at you holistically, you know, and make sure that everything is checked off because, you know, you're going there to defend your country. You're going to do all the stuff for your country. You know, you're going to lose friends along the way. You're going to get injured, all of this. But then you expect them to look after you afterwards, you know. Um, I, I don't know if that's if that's right. Or... Yeah, and I understand what you mean is because um, like border war vets or will definitely have a, have it more bad. But uh, which, by the way, respect to my border war vets, um, it's a thing because of the uh, image that our country is making of our military. Like if our military do does one messed up thing or like makes a mistake on camera the, everyone's like look they fucked up and they're the worst yeah. and this and that uh, it's and when I came back it's not people weren't like oh yeah dude you like, you like yeah. fucking like, big man it's not, well some people are like dude you're, you're badass I want to be like you <laughs> and if, I'm not saying that the blood smoke of mine there was this kid um, that actually came up to me it's like Manir how can I be like you? No. But uh, yeah, it, it's just, I just wish our country can view us as a functioning military, which we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially with our country's current situation, like we, yeah. um, like South Africa, we, guys, are st- in 2021 with COVID, we're still getting deployed into combat zones, the, the DRC. Uh, when I was there, we were still getting deployed into combat, we we're still getting cock in air. Um, and yet and especially now like i hear from guys that are still in they're like yeah well funding is being cut slide but and that's because i hear that because sometimes guys get to go out and buy their own little shit like gloves i mean gloves have been around for fucking yeah. we could we could have done that since like what mid 2000s anyway it's how can I say I just wish I wish more people in South Africa can hear me right now and just say listen make compromises our military is doing what they can can we do more yes we can but then again America can do more England can do more New Zealand can do more but guess what we're doing what we can I mean if I if I can just interject I think that you know coming from from post 94 and with reducing the military and so forth you know if you look at the people that were in power, right, there wasn't a need for the military, you know. Uh, it doesn't suit the agenda, you know, to have a military and patriotism and so forth. And I mean, if you look up until last year, there was discussions before the whole Mozambique thing that, you know, why do we need a military? And this year we saw, you know, and I think that the problem with the ANC, uh, and we've stated on this podcast many times, right, they're a liberation movement. And, you know, their job, they, they've stated to this day still that they're a, politi- uh, a liberation movement, not a political party, right? So their agenda is to improve and meet their fundamental goals. Don't get, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole of whether or not they achieved anything, but that, that was the, that's their mandate. And they still view themselves as a liberation movement. And having a military, a strong military, doesn't suit that agenda or narrative that they have. And I think that's the shortcomings. I mean, like you said it, you know, you guys are buying gloves and stuff like that. But obviously, you can only do so much with the with that budget. And you know, most countries, you know, barring America, for example, because they just spend way too much money. But most countries 
to at least 2.5% of the GDP is dedicated to the military. Whereas I was currently, this is on 2019 statistics, it's on 0.8%, right? 0.08%. And that, that's not feasible, right? And, you know, Quinz and I have spoken on a previous podcast, right? How, you know, some people, some countries, many countries, and you talk about the military industrial complex and so forth. People use their militaries to make money. And, you know, when you guys go on the DRC and various uh, deployments and stuff like that, the UN pays an amount. And I don't know if you know this, but the, the amount that the UN pays for South Africa to be there, that doesn't go into the military budget again. That gets funneled straight into uh, the SA Reserve. We had this lecturer come on and he did a white, he was part of the team that did the white paper in 2015, the military white paper. And he was just explaining how when you guys go into these UN deployments and so forth, that money doesn't get funneled back into the military's pocket. So, you know, you talk about logistics and stuff like that. That can't be, you know, there's a meager budget. And you, the head of the Sandoff before the previous Solly Shoke, he said that he needs money. The new commander said he needs money. And, you know, you guys have to make do. And, you know, that you've gotten the short end of the stick. So, like you said, everybody jumps on the times that you fuck up. But there's so much that you do on the meager budget that people don't see that side. And it's not part of the narrative because, I mean, the NC doesn't want you to know that you guys are doing all this awesome shit on this minimum resources, you know. So it suits them to show that you fuck ups so that they can disband you. So they're more money to fuck around with. Um, Yeah, that's kind of just my thoughts on that, you know. Mm, and there's someone of a way of feeling to something. It, you see, we're not the best military, nor are we the worst. Okay, we we make do what we have. You know, Marines in America say, "Yeah, bro, we're Marines. We make do." Uh, in South Africa, <laughs> we make do too. We get less money than you, so go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah, you know, hundred percent. So. Going back to your story, so you finish your uh, your paragraph training and selection, you get your beret, the ceremony, and so forth. So then do you train for a bit, or is it straight into a mission? Do you guys do a pre-op mission uh, for your first deployment? Um, you muted. Okay, so deployments. Deployments. Okay, so my deployments to the uh, DLC. It, you work your ourselves there. You you're not just uh, you know you're not just in the shed. Of course we are in the shed. You regularly saw contact in the um, the DRC, but you're still working your ourselves because you're not just there to combat. You're there for hearts and minds. You dish out humanitarian aid basically. It's you help the locals. You help um, the uh, other forces. You mm-hmm. help. Um, uh, come with combined arms you uh, sometimes you help with logistics it's not all uh, it's uh, just go out and control mm. expect contact and just that pull back and then when you pull back you just chill it's not that you if you're like say you go on a patrol okay, yeah. uh, 40 kilometer patrol or all in all um, and you come back okay there's going to be activities waiting for you it's not just lay down and chill you yeah. 
um, have tasks. Uh, think of it like uh, like if you're, I'm sure you have tasks throughout your day. Um, if even if you do something long and drag and drag out, it's just you will still be doing stuff. Like uh, in the morning, you get up, you go for chow and this and that. And then you will go to morning parade, you your briefing. And then sometimes you don't even do that. Sometimes you uh, just get our stuff. Your platoon will be doing this today. You'll be helping out with this. And later today, you report for briefing. This and that, and you'll be doing this. It's just you will build a schedule. Like uh, on a normal day, you would get up you do your thing and uh you would go out and then you would stand parade you would get your briefing and uh then that's a task that's your that's your group's task that's your platoon's task uh, um like say at 4 30 in the morning you get up do your thing and then seven say seven thirty scheduled for a sp patrol okay uh, and then you go out you do your patrol and then you come back say around with all the gear that you're carrying with us we carry we only carry really our pattern gear our vest your helmet all your essentials and then you just went out you didn't really carry like a rug or anything like that that's just for training mostly and um you went out you did your patrol when you come back so you come back around like 11 or 12 Mm. and uh, you get your aar which is your after action report or review in case you like you know gotten the shit or something and then you will have tasks waiting for you after that. And um, in your schedule, like you will be helping out with this. Okay, you, okay, say me and, because uh, I was a uh, two stripe section leader. So it's going to say, okay, you take your guys, come here, do this, and then help them out with that. Uh, I'm not going to be like, say, a fictional scenario, well, which is possible. Um, okay, so. You, Jack, you're going to take you guys, going to um, move that transport truck full of that shit and take it over there, pack it over there, or park it over there and pack it there. Um, it's, uh, I'm terrible at explaining things <laughs> in case you haven't noticed, but yeah, you will, you have your schedule throughout the day, okay. even if you're in a shitty place like the, the so- city. So, so let me ask you this question. I'll, I'll, I'll ask them like minimal, but like to your knowledge, do you think that, you know, because we are still, South Africa is still uh, deploying forces uh, through the UN mandate to the DRC. So do you think that it's a worthwhile endeavor that we are sending troops there, you know? Um, and when, you, so let, let me just ask you that question first and then we can dig into the meeting. Okay. So uh, my, do I think it's worthwhile? Yes. I think it's worthwhile. I think it's experience for our troops that actually get deployed there. And uh, what we do for the community, the people there, if like take, for example, they pulled out, uh, they pulled out all the uh, coalition forces out of Afghanistan. Everything went to, but like back to normal, there just terrorism. So just, just, just think, for example, if we don't finish combating the threat in the Congo, okay. And we just, and tomorrow um, the Department of Defense decides, okay, we're pulling out all our UN forces. Mm. How do you think that's going to Everything's going to go shut. So I think it's good, first of all. Um, everywhere where we do the deployments, I think it's great. Um, and uh, it also provides experience. But of course, it will be sucky. It will suck. Um, it will. Um, 
you may experience some things you well you will experience some things uh mostly uh depending on what you do there that you don't want to yeah but it's all part of the experience and uh it just it is what it is and what do you think of the UN mission? Are they actually allowing you to effect change in this environment? Or do you think it's just like a plaster of a bullet wound, you know, kind of thing? Do you think that there's actual progress being done? Or do you think there needs to be a new approach in the DRC, you know? Because like you you mentioned Afghanistan and how once everybody left, like it reverted to normal. So what do you think? Do you think the mission needs to change? Like in terms of what you guys do there? Or do you think that it just needs more resources to help combat the issue? You know, does your, because I know with the UN, you know, they've got their various flaws and stuff like that with the UN mandate and stuff like that. So, you know, you look at, for example, how they fucked up in Rwanda. You talk about the oil for food in Iraq. Uh, You know, the list goes on about their various failures. So do you think that they need to change their mission and the way they approach actually sending aid and troops, you know, to places like the DRC, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Okay. So do I think it's worth it? Do I think, uh, well, do I think the mission should change? <laughs> Depending where UN peacekeeping operations take place. Yes. For example, the uh, Central African Republic. Okay, Nigeria, I'm not sure how things are over there, but uh, same in Congo. I don't think relief um, should change, maybe, because I know from, because I was there a few years ago and I already knew that people over there had a little bit enough of army folk, um, but I'm not sure how it is now, maybe they admire more, because uh, I know they they had the respect for us, but, you know, I'm sure if you, if army guys were roaming your streets every day, you would get a little bit tired of it. You know, it is what it is, and uh, do I think the mission should change in the Congo specifically? Not really, maybe a little bit more log- logistics, uh, there can be improvement there, uh, how we handle things. I mean, how we handle things are pretty still, um, I don't think it's that bad. Okay. And, uh, yeah... In certain countries, like Central Africa, yes, it definitely changing, get better groups there, uh, more dedicated, more motivated, and uh, that actually do what their task says they must. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, that's a bit of a two-parter, right? But just to clarify, so your mission when you guys went was hearts and minds with the occasional patrols and protection. Is, is that correct? Occasional patrols. I mean, usually every day. Well, mostly every day. Um, hearts and minds, for those who don't know what that means, it's just building the hearts and minds of the people there, mm-hmm. building up a reputation, building up a love, a community, yeah. so we can make them better and so we can provide protection because their own country, I'm not rating on the country or anything, because their own country simply cannot afford to. Or yeah, it's a, it's a fact, them. you're not ratting on them, you know, it's a fact that they, you know, yeah. they've got the issues. So, yeah. Um, and I just want to ask how beneficial, you know, do you think that the locals and the indigenous people find that it's, you know, it's Africans helping Africans? Or do you find that, you know, with the UN, you get like obviously volunteers from all over. So like the Indians or the and stuff like that. Do you think that the the DR, the people of the Congo and so forth reacted better to Africans helping them use the South Africans being there? Or do you think that, you know, it didn't matter? Did they see the UN as a UN? Or do you think that it was just like, it's better to, you know, some people say that, you know, Africans should fix African problems. So do you think that countries like, 
South Africa, Mozambique, SADC should basically take the forefront and help solve the continent's problems, you know, instead okay. of instead of like the Western powers and so forth. Yeah, the Western powers, okay, they're doing what they're doing at the moment. Like at this point, I can just stay away from Africa so we don't get the bullshit. Um, but do I think from what I've experienced, what I've heard from troops that are still active present day, is it? No, it, um, the fact that, okay, so troops of African origin, it probably builds up their hope or morality or morale, morale um, or just overall just hope up because, you know, people that are of your country's blood, yeah. they... Maybe not your specific your continent, whatever. They maybe they feel better. I couldn't tell you um, if I tried. I mean, it's all at the end of the day. It's all up to the individual. Do they feel better? The fact that African troops um, are there. Um, do they think the color of the the skin color of the troop matters? No. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm a white individual. So, and I didn't really get any hate of, like, getting okay. rocks thrown at me or shit like that. Of course, we did get we did get hate in the car and all that. Yeah. Um, where uh, they, like, the civilians did not like us always. But um, that's, I don't think that's because of the skin color. I think that's because of our mission in the car. But in DRC, it's not always the case. Um in the DRC, no. Overall, no. Skin color doesn't matter. Would do where the troops are from? Does it matter? Maybe. Yes. You know the okay. French. Um, they still help. Uh, not in the DRC, from what I remember. They in Mali. Um, they in Mali. They in Mali. Yeah, they in Mali. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't think African people really care if they see me wearing a uniform protecting them. Yeah. then I don't think at that point, I think all that shit goes out the window, let's be okay. honest. And did you guys work alongside the local Congo army or was it just like you guys on your own separate mission? How did they uh, adjust to you? You know, were they welcoming of you? Were they like, fuck it, you know, this is our country, we need to protect our own country. Were they actually open to it, you know? They were fairly neutral, I would say. I would say that they aren't um, always the most friendly type, but I don't. I don't think they're planning on like pushing us out or anything. I mean, first of all, they won't get that right. Um, second of all, it's the Congo Army. Did we work alongside them from when I was there? Not a whole lot. No, barely. Like on my one hand, I could count how many times because they are quite. I mean, we all are there to do a mission. We all have different sets of motivation and viewpoints but most of these guys are fucking like i'm just gonna put it like that okay. um the uh, congo army because you know they don't have great funding we have st- we have worldwide different funding compared to them yes do they, do they have armed forces yes but do they have the best no. okay um so wrapping up the drc um did you guys see a lot of action or was it you know uh more about the hearts and minds in terms of your mission there um <laughs> seeing action yeah um combat uh, we regularly you don't hear the occasional crackling through the air uh, over your head past your head sometimes into yeah and uh, yes we did because i was there in a different i'm, I'm not going to say oh i'm a fucking utopia i was there in this time this time it's i was there a little bit earlier than guys present day so did I maybe see more contact than guys present day? Maybe. 
maybe okay. not maybe shutdown change maybe it's more contained okay. um from what i hear it's not worse uh, but hey if it is mad respect to you guys out there okay so you so you you got you got a taste of the action and actually what it's like to be a parabat and so forth so uh, mm-hmm. coming back home you say the drc deployment was five months if that's correct um no that was my car deployment my uh, drc deployments were six months um yeah uh, a shitty six month deployment and my yeah so then you come back home uh and you take leave take rest and then the next deployment is car no that was my first okay i deployed to uh um, my that was my first i deployed to drc drc was your first and then your second one was no, the car was my first. The Central oh. Africa. That was oh. my first. Oh, hectic. Um, I deployed there early February when I arrived. And uh, after the whole situation um, was about, yeah, um, wasn't that long until we eventually were called uh, out. And uh, we didn't, we finished our, well, mandatory uh deployment uh, mm-hmm. not to the car and um when i came back i did I, for one month um i was stationed at lesotho uh we, we didn't do a whole lot there and uh then i went on leave and then i was scheduled to rearrange and i was put into the uh, drc cycle okay okay um so before we get on would you like to briefly just touch on we don't have to go into the meats and potatoes about car but um, if, if you'd like to, um, and if you'd be willing to, maybe we can just touch on a few points there, or should we? Not to be a bum, but okay. may have been seven, six years. It, yeah. So rather we move to the next, if, if, yeah. if we will. Okay, that's perfect. So um, after car, you do the DRC and uh, you do one more pl- deployment before you leave, if that's correct. Yeah, and then there was my ceremony, I was discharged, and yeah, I became a civilian again. Okay, and so how long was it before you were discharged that you decided to go join the police service? Um, after I was discharged, floated around a little bit, uh, private job so I'm not really going to go into that um and then until a few years ago two three years volunteered TRT and completed police academy training all that um I and when I was done because the TRT is a different type of unit you see we help however we can um you see we can we can our job is to basically if do jobs to quote what was sent uh, was said in a documentary our job we do what conventional police uniform services don't have the right equipment to do or don't have the right motivation to do you see because we sometimes help with the right response we help with armored car jobs we help with you know all sorts of things uh, not a lot i can fully dive into so did you find the transition from you know, obviously you did, uh, you were in the armed forces, you were in Sandef, then you did some private security, I'm assuming. And 
did you find that transition from the military it helped you join the did you find the police academy easy is what i'm saying um because of your previous training did i find is it therapy is an is it is based we are not always like top of the food chain special operations come on no we're not but it's not any it's not like any other the like uniform service that you get it's the level of training you get uh weapons training uh close call cqm cqc cqb all that type of all those all that shit it's just a whole different uh, when i joined it wasn't a culture shock that's a Old it's more of a i need to get used to not being fucking loud mm. and um just get, keeping my booger hook booger hook off the bank switch when i needed to okay because um you know because we have all these training all these safety precautions and all the riot non-lethal shit that we can do right like for example walk up to the motherfucking put them on the ground mm. and uh yeah so okay. there's not a awful lot because one of my followers asked like day-to-day operating what do we do um unfortunately can't go into that um just a disclaimer um and yeah but uh, is there anything you would like to know like clinical standpoint or anything else that i might not not have mentioned no no so i'm very curious is there a lot of ex-military in like do you find them in the trt and obviously um what made you decide to go trt instead of maybe sdf uh special task force okay uh, and so forth you know so sdf so i'm not sure if you know but uh sdf you can't just join the police and then Well, in STF, you need to have done a minimum of three years in the SAPS to be able to just think of going. Okay. Well, not think, just you need the experience and the uh, LEO um, line of work. Okay, okay. Um, all right. Uh, that, that kind of makes sense. And to touch on the previous point, is there a lot of ex-military in the police or in the TRT and so forth? In the police, yeah, there are a fair amount. But are they like, uh, like in America in 2019, 17% of police officers were former military. Here, I'm not sure of that. I've met like, dude, I've met a handful who were in the armed forces. I'm, and most of them are like a little bit way older. Okay. Um, but either way, answer your question? Yes. Okay. okay. And um, so you've done say two two plus years is your, your goal to end up in the sdf uh, for those who don't know so the special task force is uh correct me if i'm wrong they're like the elite uh, of the south african police forces um there's actually a really cool uh, documentary on youtube about them like it's a couple of uh, things uh, from the 90s i think 90s 2000 so uh, mm-hmm. if you if you want to watch that you can go ahead and check that out on youtube um but it, who do you consider maybe going uh, do you have to be referred? Is it like invite only kind of thing? Um, well, invite only. Like I couldn't really answer that because mainly I I don't know because understand and I don't know everything about the police. Like I know what my brand specializes in. You know what NIU and this and that. Well, some of what NIU does. Um, and okay, well, one of my friends I haven't met him. I met him through Instagram. Um, I'm not. Sure. <laughs> For not myself. <laughs> yeah, um, for not DDoSing him or myself, 
uh, he's also a TRT active member um, and he's a great dude he's an awesome dude uh, definitely down to earth and dude he's dude he would beat the shit out of me he is so buff and uh, like if you were to put him in normal uniform he would look chill but if you just like gave him like a short sleeve uh, yeah. uniform he, dude he, he would not fucking get within 10 feet of him and he has talked to me and I was like and we were talking about STF the one day uh, about the edit I did about the STF on my Instagram page and um, he was like yo dude, these guys are sick as fuck and I was like dude I can only dream or we could only dream and then he was like uh, I am preparing now to go volunteer for STF and I was like shit this guy is He's getting out. He's getting off it. Going to uh, and honestly, if you happen to come across this podcast, uh, my friend, I hope you get that because you uh, definitely deserve it. So ten times more than I do. Mm-hmm. So I plan on sticking here for a little bit while more, a few more years, and then I'm, I plan on stepping down. Unfortunately, it just politically. No, it's, it's I'm not going to dive into it that much, but but politically, it's just the police. Just it's not yeah. at its best, definitely. Yeah, um, I, I know. I mean, we've spoken about it on previous podcasts and so forth about you know the the vision of the the saps and obviously political interference and so forth you know that's a whole can of bombs that we can open but you know i think therein lies the mission you know if you if you treat them good and you give them the resources that they need then it's ultimately it'll only stand to good stead so i mean that's why you know for example you look at like 2004, 2005, after 9-11 and so forth, you, there's many SDF guys, TRT guys that actually went and got, did some private security in Iraq because their level of training and stuff like that was so high that they went them on. Uh, so, you know, it, it's almost like we have these talented individuals like yourself and the buff dude that you're speaking about, but it's the 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 system is needs a complete restart and you know once the bad eggs are removed then only will you actually be able then will only will people be retained and you'll have this pipeline you know because at the moment it's very much tough heavy both in the saps and in the armed forces i mean i saw some ridiculous thing don't quote me on it at the moment but i think it was like a hundred generals and yeah whatnot and there was like so little sergeants and captains and shit you know Mm. well you see if i i think personally if Jesus, did they tap this call on fuck? But, um, I think there should be less children in suits and ties running our armed forces, police force, and political for anything, and just people that actually know what the fuck they're doing. Oh, and um, you know, like the, like our minister of uh, veterans and uh, defense. defense, I think that's what. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what it called. That dude, that she is- has a. She has a primary grade teacher. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I you know, I fucking ranted about this lady and so forth. But you know, you know, there's two spheres, right? If she had masters in security and all the shit, then I'd be like, okay, fair, right? So then the practical experience, but she has, you know, she has an understanding of what needs to be done. And she doesn't have the practical on the ground experience, nor the academic. She's got a pro- she's qualified to do fuck all at the moment. So I, I don't know how how she gets these positions and you know that that's the problem with the fucking ANC everything's buddy buddy you know how the fuck does the minister sport become the minister transport to become the minister police back to the minister of 
who fucking knows you know in uh, for example just to give you a brief analogy but i mean in canada for example the minister of health is a doctor the minister of finance is an entrepreneur the minister of agriculture is a farmer so forth and that's ultimately what we need to be looking at you know everybody has to be specialized and i think you know especially the military you know your minister of justice your minister of defense and veterans and so forth they need to be either former military or people that have studied this and actually are able to make the best interest for it because i mean just to go on this and i know we said we weren't going to speak about it but in the book right uh battle of bangui and so forth right the this is excerpt i think it was either in the book or so somebody I was speaking to that was involved and they were saying that like a one there there was conversations where they asked can they withdraw and what not and she said no stay stay on and stuff like that she wasn't allowing him to get the resources they needed nor anything because she doesn't know that she can fucking teach you your a b, a, b and c and d and teach you the colors and stuff like that but that's all that she fucking qualified to do and i think that's that that's ultimately the problem with the anc and the the ministry in, in a half in a whole to in the various departments and so forth you know mm. yeah it the um, yeah and i think that's a issue that i mean canada like you said i mean they seem to be very fine actually um before we keep going on to political bullshit something the guy i know uh, if but if you listen to this uh, first of all uh, great to have you and second of all uh, just to get i'm not going to give a name um but uh, he is a current reservist for the canadian uh, armed forces i find pretty cool he shared me some of his story he joined the cadets when he was about, i think 16 and then he ju- he was parental consent he joined the reserves at age 17 and he's 19 now and he's uh, a corporal um still serving and uh, he's currently deployed or not deployed he's just helping out somewhere i'm not if i remember even if i remember um, i wouldn't be giving out that info but yeah just uh, a little thing i thought i might throw in there yeah well, you know i i think that that's something that also we can take a take a tangent to or go on to is that you know you've just mentioned that guys age and so forth and i think that you know with the mass unemployment and so forth i i don't understand why the government is not stepping up and saying hey you know this is an alternative you know the universities come to each school um, and they say hey this is why you should come to our university and so forth i never saw the military the police the um fire fire brigade come to each school go to the kids in the township or anything say hey this is a viable alternative you know because i mean there's so much unemployment and it can only do us better to have young people in, involved in the armed forces and it doesn't have to be to go fucking fight you know you know you could join the logistics unit or you know the, the civilian corps or various other things you know if you look at it we have south africa has the largest uh, borders uh, and a uh, what's what's it territorial waters and uh, land borders you know and you know we could make that a viable employment alternative you know whereas people claim that hey you know we should have free education so why don't you incentivize people to join it you know for example if you tell everybody each kid from the township or wherever the fuck you are if you don't have the money to study do two years two two or three years in the armed forces civilian corps or whatever and then we'll give you free tuition you know how the americans do it so let's learn from everybody else you know you you talk 
talk about your friend in Canada, the cadet and stuff like that. So why aren't we doing that? We have an unemployment problem. So let's inspire people because if we do nothing now, then they're going to fall into this vicious cycle where crime is the only thing that they can do. So, you know, that's something that people seem, they don't see that they could be a good to the military. It doesn't have to be all fucking guns and bullets. You can kind of give people a sense of purpose. And I think a lot of South Africans are feeling like there is a lack of purpose, you know. They, they don't have a purpose. There's no way out. And that can ultimately give you a purpose, you know? Yeah. You see, the thing is, that's, that's a topic that I was hoping we'd go into. You can join the civilian corps, like the third parachute uh, uh, battalion. They are a reserve. Um, like I was first, I was first battalion, uh, the third, yeah, third battalion. They are a reserve. They are civilian youth. So you can you can you can still be a parabet. You can, but you can still go study. You can still go study for free, bro. Just do your thing, fulfill your goals. And if you want to join the military, there, uh, but you don't want uh, guns and blazing, fucking join the air force. Join the navy. Uh, join the army, but join like like you said, logistical units. Join the artillery units if you want to. If, you, if you're smart, go join the artillery units because you need like know your coordinates and all that. You need artillery school for that. Go join a dude. Such a cool job in the air force. Join the fucking para jumpers. The para um the uh pjs they they don't just they don't always just yeah, i don't fucking guns and blazing at the worst parts of africa if you can handle because uh, pjs need to be medical qualified to yeah. i know so they go do humanitarian jobs as well but they don't like they of course they get issued a weapon to carry with them as you should um but they don't they're not the ones in the shit they go yeah. and help like when you see a flood in africa somewhere and you see a helicopter come over and pick them up you know that is that's a pj that's the yeah. air force yeah, yeah so if you want to be a cool ass job go be cct combat controller yeah go be a paratrooper of near paratrooper go be in the reserve corps go be a fucking pj go be a pilot if you want to box like you don't need death yeah no but like th- th- that's something that the government is failing to do you know there are all these career alternatives but you don't tell the people you don't tell like you said it the first time you jump was on a plane you first time you climbed on a plane was because you joined the military there's so many people that haven't had the opportunity to go out and experience all this shit and there are opportunities to do that but it's not the narrative it's not you know people don't think that far like hey there are all these alternatives you know to go join you know i mean if it was up to me i'd say fucking employ i say mandatory if you you go to each high school and ask each student hey this is what are your plans right you have to do something after high school right so you'd be like if you're gonna go study okay fine right you get given an exemption right um right if you don't pass the health test then it's fine we give you an exemption but the rest that don't have a plan right that they, they don't understand then we'll conscript you into wherever your your interest suit or your your best suited and that's we what you'll do until you actually have a plan because the unemployment rate is out of this fucking world and it's not getting any better so you know the time is now to actually like implement hard measure measures and actually do something because there's this opportunity to do that but you know yet again you can't do that if they are primary school teachers leading and so forth you know yeah it's it's also something i'm very passionate about it's if you are going to join uh and you see because if we were to bring back cadets dude 
markets, dude, join enlistment numbers would go fucking sky high, and then the government would be would be kind of forced to get to give them the uh, military uh, and all that more funding into the projects because the navies are getting new aircraft carriers and all that, which yeah. I'm gonna, I'm very glad to hear about. And uh, you can be okay. I don't really like MPs, but if you can be an MP, military police, you can be security forces. You can yeah. be. Yeah, you can be a fucking mechanic in the Air Force. You can be a mechanic in the Army. Uh, me- police mechanics. So, yeah. Don't uh, join police mechanics. Um, <laughs> just, you don't have... Because my part that I did was the part not everyone is fit to do in the military. I sometimes glorify it on my uh, on my Instagram page. I'm not glorifying that. I'm just glorifying the fact that, hey, not everyone can do it. So you need gentlemen like myself or the STF or the SASF, South African Special Forces, mm. to do the war fighting, to do yeah. the soul snatching. Soul snatching sounds like something out of a fucking cheesy uh, rap which probably is but still yeah. it, it is what it is we at the end of the day it will happen it's gonna happen yeah. and it happens for one reason mainly usually and that's for your preservation your life yeah. your living conditions and if and if I hear one person say ah oh, you say you you fight for us so we can sleep standing but this whole cock in the, in the in the land that's going on and I said yeah that is our government being mm fucked up yeah we are defending our borders so you don't have to live like the people that we defend in other countries like the drc those people they live in fucking huts they they live in they are those are third world countries people say south africa is a third world country Cock, man we are a first world country we have everything we want mm. we just have a high poverty rate because like you said there's not enough fucking motivation and people think that crime is the only option to yeah you get what i mean and it's it's also you know the uh, like you said we aren't a third world country i mean i i traveled to southeast asia um years ago and you know the poverty that i saw there the hopelessness that i saw there it's nothing compared to south africa you know fuck i was in vietnam and like i was driving in the countryside and no i was cambodia sorry um i was driving in the countryside and on the way there i saw a guy kill his dog and on the way back that i drove past he was feeding his dog feeding the family from the dog because they had nothing you know, you know here we have shacks here they just fucking live under a tree and stuff like that that's how poor they are so we as people south africans don't really appreciate and realize that it's fucking 10 times worse outside there you know we're, we're like a developed country but with issues <laughs> and we have we have yeah. we have issues um there's the, no denying that but we aren't the worst you know and yeah, i think the worst. exactly and i think when people get that perspective and realize okay this is what we do but the nc doesn't really help with that because i mean the more grants you give the more dependent people are on the system and that's why it's breaking so i mean if you make people give people a purpose in a job you know what do, what would you rather have would you rather have the egg or the chicken you know i mean you eat if you give somebody seeds and they can plant their own farm but i mean if you fucking give them fruits can expire in a week and the anc is only giving out fucking t-shirts and fruit and that <laughs> ultimately has a fucking short lifespan so i think that that's the whole purpose and it, it's a career alternative and employment and that's what people need people need employment and a purpose and i think that's something that we need to give you know because i mean the only times you actually feel fucking patriotic is when the springboks are winning the rest of the time is just like <laughs> so if we if we can if we 
can, you know, almost get, I don't know if it's um, the media or whatnot. And you, you can jump in on this, but I feel like there needs to be more feel-good experiences uh, by uh, service members and so forth. Why aren't we, you know, for example, right, you fucking go on podcasts now and you can see thousands of podcasts from ex-military, American military guys fucking compl- uh, um, telling their stories about Delta Force and all this shit, like ex-members, right? But you never see that about the Reckies, SDF and stuff like that. And, you know, yes, you can say it's security and shit like that, right? But that has a purpose, you know, by telling about SEAL Team 6 and Delta Force, you build a reputation and instill pride, right? And I don't know if we as South Africans, you correct me if I'm wrong, right? But if we are, as South mm-hmm. Africans are shooting ourselves in the foot by being so quiet about all the good that our STF, Parabats, whatever, all those operations, if that is actually, you know, if we keep, by keeping quiet about that, right, we're not actually instilling pride because that's an avenue of like, look at this accomplishment that we did, you know, look at how we fucked up these people over here, right? We won that that battle or whatever, right? By keeping it quiet, then you, it, the entire country thinks that you guys are a bunch of idiots. But I mean, we should be more proud and we should allow, for example, reporters, journalists to actually like follow these units and make it a media thing so that we're proud of our forces and so forth, you know? You see, that's, uh, I would interject that it's, yeah, you see, America's convinced that legacy will Ranger Battalion and all that as the best jobs in the world and you know everyone thinks that about the special force job like I've spoken with a few Rakis and you know Rakis their training is beyond any fucking training on this earth and um, you know it messes you up and all that but you see the thing is the Rakis they don't sit around they don't always help they're not like us where we, we go we dish out hearts and minds and all that which is our job ultimately and also for the defense of our country of course but they do quote a cheesy video game line they get dirty so we can stay clean if that makes sense yeah. they do the, they do the dirty work and how is it gonna look if we send out reporters to do that and and rackets get told that you not nothing you do everything you do if you still you are not allowed to fucking talk about it if so you're a brew there are consequences oh well, uh, to be fair i've got a current recce coming on next uh next month november uh but like he's mm. fucking secret as fuck so we're gonna have to cover his face and everything but yeah he's uh, set to come back he's currently being deployed somewhere uh, so I've aligned mm. him up and so forth but um, you know I, th- I think uh, to go to go back to the point right um, how do you inspire the kid from the township or from the farm or fucking the kid that's on the rugby field how do you inspire him if you don't tell them story no. mm. and uh, I, 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 I look exactly. at no but like if all they're seeing in the media is this fat overweight cop or this fucking soldier that can't climb over a fence why, why, why the fuck would they want to join that you know that's why their heroes are Sia Kulisi and it's a bit Dwayne Vermeule and all that because they see them fucking up on the field they fucking shit up on the field if if we don't show if the media doesn't show like you know this is that and that's ultimately what we're doing on this podcast we're trying to inspire people to maybe follow your career path or just you know to show that there is an opportunity right and mm-hmm. I think if there's more like this you know more of a narrative of oh, fuck, there are alternatives, you know, to doing these things, then it opens up a whole new world and you ultimately help the future generations and so forth, you know? Yeah. You see, there's a lot of kids um, that, you know, when I'm at my friend's house and they're like,
black kid comes out of me. And, you know, and we're brying. So we're now, nah, of course, I've been drinking a slight bit. So my stories sound better when I'm drunk. And um, they, I ask them and I tell them about stories. And they were like, yeah, this job sounds good. Like I motivate them in my, I would say my own little way. Um, some other infantrymen or sandal guys would be a little bit salty about that. Um, actually, I have a story. Actually, I would like to share. Um, <laughs> when uh, I was in, uh, I was, when was this? Long time ago. I was in Luatla training with the uh, mechanized infantry. And um, we were there and a Rattle 20, I'm not sure if you know what that is, but a Rattle 20, it's basically a Rattle, but it has the 20 millimeter cannon. It has this uh, 7.62 and uh, the, uh, uh, and we were busy just showing them, uh, us and the mechanized guys, we were just busy showing them through our uh, uh, Rattle 20. Now, all the guys from different units were there. Uh, we had guys from there well we guys had from the mechanized we had rackies there uh we had bats there and all that infantry and i was i was like everyone is asking questions everyone everyone's asking questions but there was this one fucking racky he was the only one there with a boost beer fucking one racky was sitting he was he looked at me he was just looking at me didn't ask a question he didn't move nothing and i like i was standing there offset to the side i was just like start of kind of beginning to sweat because like this guy's fucking checking me out what did i do you gonna kill me <laughs> And of course, if it wasn't, but uh, I was like, that's just because, yes, Rakis are cool. They are good people when you get to know them. Uh, of course, they have to stay quiet about everything. Um, but that's just my, uh, that was one of my first experiences with Rakis. And uh, he was, and when you actually dare to look into his eyes, you don't really, at first, you don't really think there's life. But of course, I have been corrected. But of course, his guys go through his fucking thick and thin. So I have mad respect for Rakis. So to the Rakis who may be coming on and some and by any chance of listening to this uh good on you mad respect and uh keep uh, doing what you're doing mm. it's just rackies they do what they have to, okay yeah. they just they do because i'm not so if me saying oh they do all the fucking dirty work the racky will probably racky will probably come and correct me about like yeah well, we also do this and that and which of course interesting um i don't know anything about what they do i just know they do i just know they do fucking awesome shit mm. and uh yeah so Did you manage to work alongside them in uh, your deployments to the un and shit like that oh uh, not at all no 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 not at all um okay. we did see their faces every now and then but um, yeah, we did not work alongside. Because, okay. you know, like, like uh, it's a different kind of analogy, but, you know, when, uh, like, one of the Navy SEALs go in and they get the Marines to fucking do the perimeter security. And, you know, so, like, did you guys have to, like, go do perimeter security while they go fuck shit up or go on that path? Um, you see, I have a few stories, not identical, but similar to that. But You don't have to tell. You, you don't have to tell. Really? No, 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 it's not, no. It's not. It's not it's not like mental shit it's just how not to do this to do uh, stretch my mouth about it so yeah but you know it's i think the listeners like everybody knows that you're not going to say anything but i mean all right you can blow some smoke so, tell us a good story okay I'm not gonna name a unit or anything like that. I'm not gonna even say country, but um, once we were uh, basically we were just there as a security detachment. We we were doing a quick info. We first do a, did a fake info. Now, if you don't know what a fake info is, a fake insert. It's where the helicopter would fly over, touch down, and then act as if we're dropping off between the tree lines or the bushes or whatever, and then they would take off and go land at another area. And that's what the secondary areas where they actually would land. A fake insert 
but it's just to think the enemy that hey they are there let's go set up over there and uh, your actual um, info points where you would drop off so we did a fake insert we went off and we actually info and now we went over got our got our rocks and we dropped it at our um, uh, OP and then we moved down and then we were just basically providing perimeter security and um, the unit of which I will not name came down from a different um, of course this was rehearsed and uh, plans this was brief and of course plan of attack and all that and they went in they cleaned house and uh, we didn't see a whole lot uh, we of course had to keep people out uh, trying to come in um, not 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 bad guys civilians as well um, and then once we heard over the radio that hey we're good let's go back up and uh, we all went back to the OP picked up our shit tally up and then we we're back in the helicopter and then we where it explodes. Sounds quick. It was a quick operation. Give or take for the buttons. Shit. Okay, that's pretty cool. So going towards to your policing career, do you find that collaboration? So USTRT, do you guys work alongside the SDF if there's any occasions, or is it just you know they do oh. their own shit or? To what I can tell you, do we work? Uh, do I have experience with them? No. But do we work with them? Yes. Um, some branches. Um, we usually work with TRU, um, then being metropolitan, I believe. Um, other specialized security units like uh, CAG, um, counter assault group. Uh, we we also we work with a different variety of guys, and which also very interesting to work with them. Great group of dudes from all different private security reaction and all that. So it is cool concept. Okay. So kind of well, not it's not combined on. Just it's just working together basically. Okay. And I'm not gonna go into what everything the the guts of it, but uh, yeah, it's but what I kind of know. And how do you say that, uh, you know, um, the TRT differs from the NIU? Uh, could you just explain what the NIU does? Uh, so how is the TRT different from the NIU to the SDF? Like, is it just like levels or like you're on level A, uh, okay. NIU's level B, SDF is level C, you know, is there like a hierarchy kind of thing? Hierarchy, it's just we all handle different things like the Hawks. They handle like the bigger cases of South Africa. Uh, TRT, we help honestly where we can, whether that be um, uh, like SWAT type calls, uh, whether that be uh, an operating procedure like a hostage situation that doesn't really, not a major hostage situation. Um, we basically act as SWAT. Um, we also help with uh, riot response sometimes, depending on the situation um, and the circumstance. If it's political, yes, we are there um, sometimes. And uh, the NIU, they are just, I think personally, they're just a bunch of badass motherfuckers. They they use quite foreign weapons, to what I believe. Uh, I haven't really shot with any of them. Um, I've seen them. They look fucking bitching. Um, but they definitely get. I don't. Then again, I don't speak to a lot of men. I I I know a female. Not gonna know. Uh, just I'm not gonna say her name or anything like that. What about? But uh, she doesn't really talk about what she does. Okay. She is a marksman. Oh, I I didn't uh, realize that there was quite a lot of females in the TRT, NIU, and SDF. I did. I thought it was a male yeah, only thing. No, 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 dude. We have quite a few females. We TRT is not as like we're not as 
specialize in, say, uh, um, SDF, definitely. But, uh, you know, every major capital or even small city like uh, Central or uh, Makumalanga, Tata, East London, uh, Cape Town, Northwest, uh, bigger cities in Northwest, all that. Um, we, there are, a TRT is very diverse, you know, there are, there are way more of us than you think. Okay. Mm. Okay. All right. So uh, slowly, just to go back on to some of the stuff as we start coming to a close on this podcast and so forth, uh, you mentioned mm. something that you wanted to speak about, which is Veterans Association and stuff like that, and how the police and both the armed forces kind of need the help, the uh, help, and just to raise awareness about what they've done. So where do you think that the they've failed like the veterans the various veterans and what more can be done you know because we are trying to raise awareness about that you know this is a topic that really connects with me emotionally it really hits me on the soul um because it's just it's it's, it's just sad because when you look at statistics wise this is campaign call i posted about it for a short while on my status it's called 22 a day or 22 Everest. 22 a day means 22 veterans die by their own hand every day. Um, uh, police officers daily suicide. Even in South Africa alone, my bro, it's everywhere. It happens every day. Constantly get reports about it. And uh, the government, of course, <laughs> when last have you seen an article about a veteran or a police officer committing suicide? The government doesn't talk about that. My personal, um, among my officers, the officers I spoke about, that the INSEPs, private security, and what the fuck ever, uh, armed forces. Uh, my friend had a buddy of him kill himself uh, in the Air Force because of the shit that he's seen. Um, I'm not sure what he has seen, but it's, it's just sad. Um, I'm very, like, mentally, because I want, because... Obviously, I'm not a very mental person. I know when to be uh, emotional or not. Uh, I'm not a very emotional person, but if I see an officer, it's like, yeah. If I see something is wrong, I'm, of course, I'm going to take him and then I'm going to talk with him because it's very important for the preservation of an officer's life because, you know, we have this whole communist thing about all police officers are bastards. The big lives don't matter, all that shit. It's last year you called us heroes, now you want us gone. And it's it's just stupid, man. It, I just don't, can't afford, because I sit with this problem myself. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you. I do still struggle with issues. Um, whether that be suicidal or just emotional shit mm. I still deal with that and I deal with that in my own little ways which are not healthier ways but it's just I want to help more people I want people to spread more awareness to those of you speaking to those of you hearing about this whether you're a fucking civilian whether you're a doctor whether you're a boost whether you're a gangster whether whatever just if just if police officers are human, military veterans are fucking human. Mm. The police officers they defend your country within your country. Veterans, 
we defended your country on the border so you don't have to live like the countries that we've been to. Yeah. We want, we are called a police force. We called, we're called a mach, we're called a force for a reason. Yeah. Protect and serve. You will get your slimy fucking assholes. You will get your dickheads and all that. Yeah. But that doesn't make everyone a fucking asshole. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, 100%. And, you know, what more can be done? You know, what what would you like them to see? You know, is it, you know, making sure that when our troops come back, uh, they see, they're able to get the psychologists that they need? Or is it more just like, you know, decompression? Um, what kind of, what more needs to be done? You know, uh, is it financial support that you guys need? You know, do our police officers need to see shrinks regularly? So, you know, there's this fucking ta- taboo, you know, uh, about seeing a head doctor. And, you know, us as Africans, you know, the, uh, we, we don't talk about our problems, you know. Uh, and, and some people have said that, uh, Quentin and I use this podcast because it's cheap therapy, you know. And, you know, that <laughs> that's, a, that's, ultimately, uh, that's ultimately what discussion is about you know we talk about our issues and shit like that so maybe this is my fucking three free therapy but you know what would you recommend right as what more needs to be done you know do we need to de- decompress our troops when they come from uh deployments uh, do they need to see psychologists regularly what more needs to be done i think personally you know, if after a major incident, police officers do get mentally evaluated, but it's not serious. It's just last time I went, now this is a sad trip. Now some people are aware of this already. And if you are, please fucking do something about it, try and do something about it. Like last time a major incident happened to me, I still uh, pay for it in my dreams. Um, dreams, in my sleep, whatever. Um, I went to go see a police rink to be mentally evaluated and to see if I'm good for the job. And he, he literally asked me, and I was like, oh, I was like talking like how a normal patient would talk with his therapist and this and that. And he was like, listen, man, I'm just here to see if you're good for the job. And I was like, I am, I'm, I'm fucking good at what I do. I love my job. It's, it's the best job I ever had. I just, I'm not feeling it, man. And he was like, if you can't handle what you did, obviously this job is not for you. And just let that sink in, just for a second, and think, is that fair? To the ones that bleed for you, is that fair? Uh, no, definitely. And I think that, that kind of, you know that makes you question that obviously he's a police uh, psychologist so like it makes you question the efficacy of that because the psychologist uh, i'm dating uh, some uh, she's studying psychology and neuropsychology and she's always like very emph- uh, emphatic and she was saying that's like one of the prerequisites you have to be show empathy and you have to you know give empathy and support you know you're not you're not there to criticize, and I think f- from that experience that you had with the psychologist, it's almost like you know you you after you left the army, you found a purpose in the police, 
and now you're just like if you're not good enough for this and we'll take your purpose away and, and that's wrong you know where it's almost like you need to rehabilitate and you know if he says fuck it you know what you need like a couple of days off just to find joy you know let them book you a fucking skydiving session make you feel alive again maybe you know <laughs> you know that that's the kind of you know remedial things because it, you know how many cops are just like it's all just fucking same shit every day and it's just doom and gloom where maybe you need to be like okay jack fuck you've been in the trenches for like maybe three weeks okay for the next week go go do beach patrols do the random shit you know go help out to the uh, the old age home. maybe just the cooling off period you know um maybe that that's something that needs to be looked at because then you don't lose your purpose you just have that off switch you know you see i'm gonna i'm gonna put this out there um just so you just some of the viewers now those are not educated on the topic i'm not questioning your education um in case if, if a police officer if we call it a police officer involved shooting um you will be put on you will be placed on leave uh, psychiatric, psych, not psychiatric leave. You will be placed on leave. Uh, well, not on leave. Um, just you will be given at least a month to recuperate. Your weapon will be suspended. Um, if it wasn't in the line of duty, like well, in the line of duty, yes. But if it wasn't, like an officer like myself, if I wasn't with my team, uh, if say I was like on duty, but I was alone, I was busy doing basic patrols. Because uh, as if we're not responding to basic uh, shit, we're operating as a normal unit. And uh, if, say, I'm alone, I'm, say, at a gas station, some cunt tries to rob me or something, and I make the constant decision at, like, say, he has a knife or a gun, but he doesn't shoot at me or he shoots at me, and I shoot him, and I drop him before he even touches me, uh, yes, I will be in the shit. I'm... My weapon, may, my weapon will be suspended. I will be placed uh, on at least a month of leave so I can recuperate. Sometimes it's not the case. Um, but eventually, of course, your weapon will get given back to you depending on how your commanding officer or what gets told for, to your commanding officer to do with you. And she understands what I'm saying. So... I have been involved with my team in because the TRT is not patty cake, patty cake. You, you be you should be prepared to shoot back. Um, because there are there is a lot of blood and shit. Uh, basically, so just be prepared for fight and mentally it will leave you. Because remember, not all scars are physical. So, just remember it will leave you. But you can get proper help for it always, and that's I, I, what I'm trying to spread awareness of. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a mental thing, and I think that uh, we're we don't focus on the issue holistically. You know, you can't just send people into kick doors and you know kick down doors and not expect them to be repercussions. You know, you need to maintain that force. Um, so I I think the, you know there's. A long way to come and i think that it's not helped by the fact that we have fucking primary school teachers in charge and stuff like that i had a question right uh, 
Anna, I wanted to ask you this. It's just a, like a random observation that I'm going to say. I don't know if it's a Cape Town thing, mm. but I see many police officers uh, and traffic officers and shit like that. They never carry a gun. Is it like, is it like a choice? Like, do you get asked the question, like, do you want to, as a regular police officer, do you, okay. do you is there a shortage of guns? Like, like, I find it so fascinating. No, 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 no. no. It's dude. Every, every police officer you get, so uh, you get issued a firearm. It's just people, just police officer TRT. If you don't carry your gun, you don't come to work. It's simple as that. But but you obviously know why. And um, but if because I remember a story about it told me he's a detective, and they were in the parade room once, and they were standing parade, and then the CEO lined them up, and they were the CEO asked them, which one of you has your firearm? And every one of them looked down except like two guys that had actually had their gun on their hip. And and the CEO was like, okay, let's understand each other very nice. It's very beautiful. You are all going to go home now. You're going to fetch your firearm. You're going to fetch your equipment. And you do not come back until you have that. And if I don't see you with that firearm on your hip every day, it's going to be a problem. And ever since then, everyone carried their firearms. Yeah, that's that's what I find fascinating. I mean, I was at uh, uh, at the police station last week, uh, for just sorting out something, and this detective that I was speaking to, he never carried like I saw him on three different occasions, never carried a gun on his hip, and I was just like, and just walking well, around like in the police station, I was just like, it's very baffling, you know. Uh, I mean, especially with the high crime and you know various incidents, it's like like. Why why don't service members carry their guns? I was just I was curious. Yeah, that, that's a that's a little rant for me too. If any police officers out there that listening on this and you're not carrying your firearm, stop begin carrying your fire, fucking firearm. Stop being picky and all that. Because say something happens outside of your station, what are you gonna do? Tell the bad guys, oh ooh, wait guys, I'm quickly have to go book a firearm. No, you have to carry your firearm on you so shit kicks you, have that shit there. Because, you know, usually police stations have an armory within the uh, station. So you would be, um, so you can, if if you were to go on it, like I'm speaking from shit, like say you're a detective and you're going out to go investigate, you'll go and you don't have your firearm on you, you'll go to the armory um, or the locker or whatever, the vault. You would book a firearm and then you would go out with it, you would use it, and once you're back and you are done with the day, you put the firearm back into the armory and then, uh, yeah, you go home and bring your fucking firearm the next day, your, your real one. No, definitely. I, I just I was curious about that. And, you know, just to kind of wrap this in a bow, you know, it's a, it's a international issue where police don't receive regular training right and do you think that that's the issue in sap so like you know i was, I was listening yeah. to this this podcast recently and this guy was lamenting the issue right they expect police to work miracles on a budget so like you do your annual one-year training thing but you know if if people had the means right and this is an american podcast so take it with a pinch of salt right but he was saying mm-hmm. that was like for example, they they have training twice a year, right? And that's not enough, right? That that's definitely not enough, mm. right? So you were saying that like you supplement your roster sheet, right? So every week or every second week, right? 
one pe one person one section is out there patrolling and the rest train and they're getting paid to train no. then you supplement is 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 that something that you see that needs to be done you know to make us into a top top police force you know because it's pointless you guys kick down doors and shit like that if you guys don't have the various fucking trainings and so forth Oh, I mean, you say, bro, like STF and TRT and all that, you know, we, sorry, um, we train regularly. Um, I just think conventional police forces should uh, qualify for their firearms training and for weapons handling and um, PT training. Like, just PT, it doesn't even have to be complex. It's just a few yeah. kilometer run. And then, but yeah, I, I personally think, Firearms training is SAPS's number one concern because I see some some guys just walk inside of a building with their firearm hanging on their, like just ha- hanging in one hand on their side. If one motherfucker comes up and pops around the corner, what are you going to do? They're just going to lift it up and shoot it with it. No, you need weapon discipline. Like I regularly um, attend specialized classes hosted by guys who've been in the special operations uh, like um, umbrella so mm. i my weapons handling is and i teach some officers in my station like different types of weapons handling how to reload your firearm uh, quickly like a ta- like a tag mag or any, something like yeah. that and what they can do to their uniform like where they can molly their equipment to just mm. uh to just have better access in like the shit so because you don't want to be like say you're on the shit you're putting rounds down and then you go empty and then if you don't have time to reload so you need to transition to that fire to that secondary and you bring it up mm-hmm. and you need to know to bring up that secondary fast and you don't you should not have obstructions within your secondary and like where to the, the space the workspace you need to bring it up you know so I think weapons training, uh, weapons discipline, trigger discipline, mm. all that, well, trigger discipline, of course, weapons discipline, weapons training, weapons handling, all that shit needs to be trained top tier. Yeah. PT, yes, we need we need regular PT, I believe, because, you know... They, they are some fat guys, fucks, bro. They are some fat fucks in the convention. You have, no, you have no idea what fat... I've seen trucks i think buses bro <laughs> yeah um no no 100 and it's the you know there's been a lot of debate going on about how we need to modernize our armed forces but you can't modernize the armed forces and give them all this new gear and shit if they're not fit if they're not you know it, it doesn't yeah. make sense it doesn't make sense so you know as much as i'm an advocate for giving more money it has to be a holistic approach. You can't give fucking fat yeah. fuck a, a, a new gun and stuff like that if he doesn't know exactly how how to work it and you know the basics. You know, um, yeah, because you know Saps is beginning to introduce the uh, like the M4, the AR15 platform. They're slowly trying to yeah, yeah. Uh, produce that, which I think is fucking cool. Um, because I do have quite a lot of training. Well, probably not as much as like the R4 and the R5 platform, mm. but uh, I do think it's a cool, um, because the AR-15 is more modular. Well, you, you can honestly make the R4 or the R5 
five um, if you have SAPs, extremely modular with the right companies and equipment reliability and all that. Um, but yeah, so you can buy all this Gucci kit and best body, best plate carrier, best rifle setup, practical rifle, best sidearm, everything, everything you can. But if one motherfucker jumps you and you don't know what to do and you go under stress and begin fucking spraying around, at that point, just shoot you. Yeah, that's going to sound very mean, but at that point, just shoot yourself because you don't have training with the fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. No, no, 100%. And do you think that, you know, has it reached a point where, like, you are, because obviously you're uh, somewhat of a door kicker. So have you, has it reached a point where you're just like, you know, we don't have the tools to combat or, or is the R4, the R5 still feasible? Is it, can it still get the job Dude, done? Or, or does it like, do you guys need the upgrades like ASAP or can it be like finally, slowly finaling it over and taking over? Or does it need to be done now? I would say our equipment doesn't handicap us because, you know, we live by the saying, weapons are accessories. These are accessories. We are the weapon. So just yeah. you make do with what you have because you know over the year we've worked with the R4 with the R platform the R4 the R5 for years now um, since the what the late 80s and um, we've made do with it and obviously now if if you've seen later years the TRT has gotten uh, a modular uh, basically a modular version of the uh, R R5. Whether you we get a modular rail, we get a better stock. We if you're lucky, you get your modular Picatinny dust cover where you can actually mount a side on the dust cover and not up front on the handguard, which it's fine. And depending on who you are, where you are, what station you are, who your CEO is, you can put shit on it. Like I I had the luxury at one point to put shit on my rifle, mm. and um, yeah. So over time more modular shit gets issued and dished out. So yes, do I, well, do I think that we need new shit ASAP? No. Do I think, what I think we do need though is, I think we need, it's, it's a smaller line. I think we need better pants like G3 pants. Mm. And uh, like our classic old uh, Saps jersey, that's all right. I'm, I'm cool with that. I like it. It definitely keeps you warm. Um, but I think we need new plate carriers, like body armor vests. Uh, um, uh, it doesn't have to be like best for the best shit. It's just this old shit doesn't work. Like, uh, Luckily, I have a good, we have good plate carriers. Uh, and it actually looked cool as fuck as well in the process. So why worry? Um, and yeah, so just, but some, not all TRT sections have that luxury that I just mm -hmm. mentioned. So do I think we need, well, I think we need in certain sections, weapons-wise, if you want to be dishing out the AR-15, sure, give me it. But obviously training and all that. And, and, um, has, and there hasn't been a transition maybe to going to the AK platform instead, uh, instead of the AR. <laughs> no, 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 no. You see, the AK, it's more of a uh, oh, Eastern thing. Um, yeah. It's more of a Russian, European 
uh, alternative service weapon because we use the AK because the Galil is considered the Galil the R4 or whatever yeah. is considered the AK platform due to the uh, the way it works the um, piston system the uh, short stroke gas piston the uh, bolt extractor the front runion uh, etc you get what I'm going with this um so it is considered the AK platform, but is an AK fuck because uh, you know it's all about calibers. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's do can we still use the R5 for a considerable amount of time? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. If we yeah. can get better upgrades for better for more stations, yes. Um, but we can definitely um use better uh, get issued better equipment. And do you think that the same holds true for the Parabats, or do you think that they actually need to update their their kind of thing? Because on 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 the Parabats still using the R four R five. Yeah, we, the bats are still uh, at the time. Yeah, we're still we we still use the R four. I mean, um, we still use the R four. We don't. Uh, I know the anti poaching infantry like anti poaching. Um, I know they use the dash prod 223, mm. the um, AR-15, uh, the old fucking shit. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah. They, I, they, that's a whole different topic. Yeah, because I saw that there was talk about kind of updating the whole module, uh, like the, the service weapon for the Sandoff. Um, but I think that like you'd have to stop, start top down. So you go to your specialized units first. And then eventually you get to the regular Joe's kind of thing, you know? Yeah, but you see, the thing is, if you're going to be adopting a new service weapon, dude, that's a, that's a whole new different story because then you have to decommission the old service weapons, destroy it, sell it, um, or uh, just, we call it failing. Failing is where you sell it. Um, but I don't think yeah, the military will be selling firearms yeah. legally. I don't know. <laughs> yeah i mean that, that's i mean we're, t- we're touching on it i mean we can fucking talk forever but i mean you look at like the whole amnesty program you know people return their guns and they give the guns to the gangsters i mean that's a whole new story on its own you know um mm. but but as as we move forward into all of this um and you know obviously everybody's trying to get their gun license and becky sale says you know guns aren't uh, part of our constitution and we shouldn't all get guns but it was quite ironic that he said that everybody with a gun should fucking come help him in the uh, Durban riots so I found that quite funny dude it's it's so fucking ridiculous if you because like I saw this one funny picture the other day it was like it was a kid sitting at a desk and smiling and it said um, my teacher told me that guns kill, kill people and I told my teacher my pencil failed my math exam. You see, it's you. It's not guns that kill people. It's your subconscious decision mm. to use this weapon of war to yeah. take another person's life. Because uh, people that say people that the funds out there saying that an AR-15, it's a sporting rifle. No, AR-15 is a it's a rifle meant for war. The AR, yeah, same thing with any other carbine, uh, uh, assault rifle, uh, assault rifle, such a yeah, civilian weapon. It's a pistol caliber carbine, a pistol, a sidearm, anything like that. Mm. 
yeah. if how can I put it? It's weapons that are uh, besides fucking hunting rifles that mm-hmm. are actually meant for like yeah, you can competition shoot it. It's a weapon of war. Yeah, yeah. There's no other way of putting it. Does that mean the weapon should be banned? Fuck no. Let people have their guns, man. Self-defense. Defense. It's for defense against those who wish to do you harm, not defense against people that just not for I mean, killing. It's your yeah. subconscious decision to take someone's life, even self-defense. No, no, 100%. And I, I agree with you on that. It's, it's about defense. And I think that it's almost foolhardy to suggest that, you know, people shouldn't get guns, especially if you take into context what's happening now and so forth. And saps coming in and saying that they can't fulfill their mandate because they're undermanned, you know, uh, and understaffed and Mm. there's not enough resources. So for the time being, everybody should kind of technically have a gun if you're certified, if you pass for it, if you do the right things to get your gun, right? Um, But I think that until until saps gets the resources that they need um i think that communities need to come together to it's easier to protect a community or a couple of streets than it is to protect the whole fucking province so if each community mm. comes together and says hey let's protect my street and your street and then the four streets down another community is formed with it you know that's the kind of the right to bear arms exactly it's not even just the right it's like that's how that dependence you have a you know a strong sense of unity and that's how we can ultimately bring about it because you can't you know the police can fucking not kick down as many doors arrest as many people you're not going to catch everybody so you need the community to come together and that goes together with your you know the community oversight thing that you'd like to bring about because you know some communities feel like the police aren't doing enough right and you'll always get there because you can't please everybody right but if the community sees okay fuck this is where they're doing and this like this and this is the shortcomings maybe the community can step up and be like hey look here we'll look after street a and you guys can do b c d e f you know lighten the load if if i can just add uh, if you think about it okay from my perspective as as a um, a considerable, m- most, the majority of one of homicides com- were committed was a firearm, um, a legal firearm, or whether it be legal or illegal, or um, pistols. They are sidearms. Um, a, con- a staggering amount of homicides are committed with pistols. And yes, we have been shot at with rifles. Yes, we have been, um, we have, well, I'm sure there's a lot of, Quite a few detectives out to have dealt with death by assault rifle or carbine, what fucking have have you. Um, but even then, even if we were shot at with like um, carbines or assault rifles, they were illegally obtained. And uh, or the, the the person who shot at us, whose free trial of life is now expired, that rifle is either affiliated with a gang yeah. or illegally obtained. Either way, it's not fucking yeah there no no 100 percent um and i I, you know i i think like because i i'm trying to get my gun license at the moment and the amount of fucking Mm. paperwork and legwork it is to get it is just like 
they really don't want you to get it. Uh, and I think that uh, that's the kind of issue that people are having, especially now that, you know, with the riots and fucking continuous crime and shit like that. It's just like, it's, it's getting hard to defend yourself. And it, it, it's, it's just out of this world. I can tell you a story off camera uh, later about fucking the police, mm. but it's just like, it, it, you know what? The government needs to realize that as much as the police need to enforce law, but the police also need the community to help out. I, the last question I have before we wrap this in a bow, um, unless you want to say yeah. anything else, was do you find that there's a, what do you think of the DA asking to nationalize police? So the SAPS is under the jurisdiction of the majority part, party of each province, right? And do you think that there's a lot of animosity? Is there a lot of animosity between like Metro police and fucking the traffic cops and fuck, the various law enforcement agencies? Is there a lot of animosity and infighting and shit like that between uh, the various things and do you think that it, all those problems would be solved if each province runs their police like they want to you know yeah uh, okay so metro police and all that metro police get paid a little bit more than us uh, just because of the fact that uh, i don't know i couldn't tell you about right um but you see metro police they don't from what i know not a whole lot of the deal with what the type of in-depth shit that we deal like TRT. Yes, there are private branches, or not private branches, that are like TRU and all that. They do all that stuff. They call themselves SWAT, which, yeah, um, which still I'm not talking shit about them. I'm just saying, yeah, it is what it is. And um, animosity, is there a lot of shit? Maybe, not that I know of. Um, but then again, whether you be in finance or entrepreneur or whatever, there will be shit talking. So, uh, but in my experience, not a whole a lot of shit talking about branches uh, within the police. Uh, I know a lot of fucking fat ass serial chowers that can't hold their own that like talk shit about the police um but then again i just laugh yeah okay if you think it's so you come do it come do it i do i fucking dare you um and people that uh, i find it funny that people that don't even have any sort of military security contracting any background like to talk shit about that type of stuff which i found extremely uh, it, it's funny as fuck and uh yeah, but between the uh, whole, if, if you call it diversity, not racially, of course, um, I don't know a whole lot, you know, I don't, I work quite a, I've worked quite a few times with Metropolitan, uh, a lot of them are cool dudes, don't get me wrong, TRU, cool, cool dudes, CAG, I mean CAG, they're a whole different story, um, and yeah, but you see the thing is, I don't really talk shit about other branches, do I like make fun of them at like a police canteen just for fun? Yes, we all do that. But you see, similar, this is a saying to all my guys in Sandoval out there or even in the police. Um, I'm not sure about the police though. Uh, but in Sandoval, to all my guys out there, you know the saying, the more I like you, the more I'm going to make fun of you. It just, it is how it is. Yeah. So uh, just to kind of tie that in together, do you think that it's better that each province runs the SAPs to suit their needs? So for example, I can only speak about Cape Town because I live in Cape Town. But I mean, if, for example, the ruling party of the Western Cape saw that, okay, let's 
let's change the mandate of SAPs in the Western Cape to combat these areas, right? Do you think that would be better than having a national thing? Because, you know, if you have a national prerogative, right, then a kind of, the national prerogative doesn't suit each province. And like you said, South Africa is a very diverse place. So problems that you all have in Limpopo, you won't have in Cape Town and vice versa, you know. Uh, Problems you'll have in the Northern Cape, you won't have in fucking Durban, you know, that kind of thing. So do you think that to get the best out of policing, you need to have like a a provincial mandate or like the provision, the person in charge of the, the party in charge of the province needs to choose the mandate. Do you think that will actually solve the issue or help well, if it's not the a, issue? If it's not a, if it's not a child in an expensive suit, yes, maybe. But you see, the thing is, um, okay, let me just gather my thoughts. My brain consists of peanut butter at the moment. Um, you see, the thing is branches, if there was a saying I saw on a YouTube video once, if you keep patrolling in this park here, you're not going to find much, but you see uniform services, they're there to respond to calls, domestic stuff and all that. But that's why you have certain branches to deal with certain things. Say, um, for example, okay, for example, that's not where I am at, but say I'm in Tata, okay? I'm in Tata TRT, and we get called to like East London, okay? Uh, to uh, help with um, prisoner escort. We would go there, we would drive over there, we get our debrief, we get our route plans, and then you know, tell her we go there. So maybe, yes, would it be a good idea? Probably. Uh, definitely a topic you can dive into more. But uh, yeah, that's my personal okay. outlook on it. Um, so any last uh, things you want to say uh, to people that are possibly... Um, looking at a career in the military or the police, any kind of advice you'd give them? Okay, I've been waiting for this. (laughs) The to all my young lads, females, male, whatever, orange, whatever, if you're gonna join the army, don't join for fucking benefits. If you're gonna do that, don't even fucking join. Because I don't like seeing people that just join for college money or something. If you're gonna join, join us motivated. Serve your country with actually with you and the fact that you have pride in your country. Fucking serve it. Right? So if if you're going to, if you have some, you may be young, you may change your mind. But if you definitely are staring law enforcement or any type of uniform service in life, fucking shoot for it. Whether that be special for paramed, uh, STF, uh, TRT, NIU, whatever. Whatever happens, okay? Don't let, don't let the color and diversity and the politics and the civilians tell you what you should and should not do with your life. If it's your vision, if it's your future, you fucking shoot for it. I don't want to hear anything else from anyone. Their, their opinion, their voice does not voice or control your life. If you're going to do it, fucking go get it no 100% 100% you know they've said that better you know um, I think that people need to realize that that is an alternative to not only help their surroundings and help their families but it's a way out you know you get to experience the world and so forth um, and I think and to that, better yourself and to better yourself you know so um, that's definitely an uh, option um, and I just want to thank you Jack for coming on you know I think that we could talk a bit longer, but, you know, fuck uh, people's attention spans and so forth. I think we've been going for two and a half hours. So um, 
Yeah. Maybe I definitely like to have you on again in the future. And yeah, just thank you again for coming on, you know. And to anybody that has questions for Jack, you can either I'll I'll tag him on our Instagram. Or if you have questions for him, you can send it to me and I'll pass it along to Jack. Um, but yeah, if, I'll tag him and you can ask him questions directly and so forth about that. Um, but yeah, it was always, it's great to have Jack on. I don't know if you want to say anything towards the end, but also um, feel free to engage us on questioningcommission at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, Jack, do you have any closing statements or anything you want to say to the people? Closing statement. Remember, uniform services, standard staff, it's not just a job, it's an adventure. It's also my happy life. So just remember that in your future. 100%. Um, and once again, I just want to put a disclaimer out to all the people out there. Views expressed in this podcast are solely our own. They don't represent any institution or organization that we're affiliated with. And, you know, uh, yeah, it was just amazing having Jack on. Uh, engage with us and stay safe don't catch COVID thanks everybody for listening